any worthwhile journey in life has what I call FDR, right? Fear, discomfort, doubt, and resistance, right? Fear, discomfort, doubt, and resistance. And you're going to encounter that in any worthwhile journey. And it's what you do in those moments that makes all the difference. And I think for some people, when they feel that, they recoil, they hide, they retreat. Whereas our most successful clients, and we certainly encourage it, and we're there for them, lean into it, they talk with their coach about it, they reach out to them, and they work through it. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Protein Shake, a.k.a. Rabbi Candlers, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to one of my very best friends on planet Earth and favorite fitness coach, Adam Gilbert. He is also the founder-in-chief of MyBodyTutor.com, and I like to call Adam the million-dollar coach. Adam is dedicated. I mean, he wakes up, lives, breathes, getting people healthy, and he truly enjoys it. He's been such an inspiration to see him grind and work on this business for over 16 years. Yes, 16 years. And he had a day job, just like a lot of you may have, and how he was able to transition that into his own million-dollar business. If you haven't heard the previous show with Adam, he's been on the podcast a bunch of times. Go look it up if you're interested in him. You can also check him out at mybodytutor.com, as well on Instagram and Twitter, mybodytutor. Adam and I have become amazing friends over the past few years he's been coaching me. I like to call him my guardian angel. We talk about all things health, entrepreneurship, personal, and business development. So in this episode, whether you're on a fitness journey or you're aspiring to start your own business, this one's for you. In this conversation, we have three gigantic takeaways. Number one, what were the inflection points for Adam to get a million-dollar business? Number two, how to be a successful coach and leader. Adam has helped over thousands of people personally, and he's got over 75 coaches in his business that he is coaching. So how can you learn how to coach better? And three, what are psychology habits that we can learn for fitness and just life in general from all the coaching that he has experienced with helping all these people? You're going to enjoy those three ear nuggets plus a bunch more along the way. Before we dive into the show, if you've ever want to launch your own business, y'all know what to do. Uncle Noah's got your back. We have a course, Monthly 1K. We've helped literally over 10,000 people get going on their business journey. And if you're interested in that, I think it's 20 bucks. It might be more by the time you heard this. You can check it out at okdork.com slash monthly 1K. Again, that's okdork.com slash monthly 1K. Also, go join my weekly newsletter. And we've got a brand new gorgeous website. It's called Noah's Nuggets, three actual nuggets to make your week great. Marketing, business, productivity. Get it in your inbox. Go to okdork.com slash nuggets. That's okdork.com slash nuggets. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener XX Game Hacker XX. Five stars gratitude. They say, Noah, I love your interview on not overthinking. Was enlightening and truly sparked a flame within. I concluded your podcast would be shuffled into my podcast that I listened to. Hot damn. Thank you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. Truly, when you listen to the show, you take action, improve your lives, it makes it all worth it for us. If you want to shout out in any future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. We check every single one of them. What's up, Adam Gilbert? What's up, buddy? How you doing? A little tired. It's interesting to notice what gives us energy, but overall good out here in Connecticut. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's great to have you. <laughs> it's great to be had. It's interesting to stay at, at your house and see the progression of you coming out of Deloitte by yourself. I think we met a few years after that living in a mansion on an acre, you know, what a journey. It's been uh, quite the journey. Yeah, Ernst Young actually is where I started. Yeah, it's been a wild ride, 16 years. You are one of the true people out there that loves their job. And I've always admired how much you've supported me and how much when I'm uncertain of my jobs or my work or anything, you've always been 100% like, nope, this is it. I never question it. 
So how early did you know your purpose? How did you find that? I think watching my father's health kind of deteriorate mentally and physically throughout the years until he passed away certainly was a big inspiration for my own health and fitness journey. And seeing how when you don't have your health, nothing else matters. So I think from an early age, I've been so passionate about health and fitness and helping other people achieve their health and fitness goals. So when I started my business, it was more just like, I want to do more of the same and continue to help people. I really do view this as my calling. It's my life's work. Even though it's been 16 years, which is crazy, it feels like we're just getting started. How did you find the calling? How did you know it was your calling? Because I think so many people out there are wondering that. I know for me, for so many years, I ignored my calling. Health and fitness has always been a passion of mine, right? So like I'd come home from school or basketball practice and like I'd work out in my room or I'd be reading muscle and fitness magazines or I'd be reading all sorts of books, any book I can get my hands on. So I think it's like, what do you do in your free time? What do you do when you can do anything you want? And for me, it was always health and fitness. Like I just loved working out. I loved nutrition. I loved seeing my body transform and then seeing how I transformed mentally and how much confidence it built in me. It's what do you do when you can do anything? So what happened to your dad? What was happening with his health and fitness? So when I was in seventh grade, my parents were divorced. He was having a heart attack. He called my sister. We drove him to the hospital. He was having a heart attack. A few days later, he had triple bypass surgery. So seeing him hooked up to all these monitors and after the surgery was really scary. I had just always hated hospitals. And then later that year, actually, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And once he got that diagnosis, it kind of explained things because he was always tired. His speech started slurring. He wasn't able to walk that great. And unfortunately, physically, he deteriorated. Then mentally, he did too. And like, I don't really have many memories of playing with my father. He was always tired. He was always not feeling well. We didn't get to do many things. That was my experience with him until he passed away. And how did you think that this this should be my profession, this should be my calling, this should be what I should work on all day for money? So I think when you see that firsthand, that your father is sick, constantly going to doctors, constantly monitoring his health, for me, it was definitely a fear. I don't want to have to deal with this when I'm older. I want to do everything I possibly can to be healthy and fit. That certainly spurred my passion for health and fitness. Also, my parents were divorced. So I always felt like I needed to be the man of the house. And I felt like I wanted to be strong. And just in case something happened, it was me, my sister, and my mom for a while. So I think it was a combination of those two things that just really like spurred my passion for it. And then it's like, this is amazing. I love the way I feel at times. I want everyone in the world to experience this. Why not keep it as a hobby? And I think that's a common thing for people. Like, should I do my passion? Should I not? And it seems like both of us have made careers out of our interests. So I think there's certainly a route where you can keep it as a hobby. For me, I think the American dream or any dream per se is being able to turn your passions into an income. So for me, I chose to figure out a way, how can we monetize this? But there's certainly an avenue where you continue your passion and you don't try to make money from it. But for me, the dream was, how can I turn what I love and marry it with entrepreneurship and figure out a way to make a, a living from it? When you were working at Ernst & Young, because you were doing it on the side while you worked at EY. I actually, I quit Ernst & Young cold turkey. I hadn't started my body tutor yet. It's just in the past, I was always helping people with their health and fitness. And that's kind of where the idea came from. Whereas I was always the go-to guy for health and fitness. I'd give people health and fitness advice. I'd give them a nutrition plan, an exercise plan. And then I'd, I'd see them a week or two later, depending on client obligations. And it was always the same story. It was always, 
I love the plan you made for me, but I got caught up with my, you know, kids, work, happy hour, life. And that's where the idea came. It's like, all right, these people have a plan that they liked. We came up with it together, but they couldn't follow through. And that's where the idea of a daily accountability came into play. But for me, it was just like, I was so miserable going to Ernst Young every day. Within the first week, I remember having a stomachache going to work. And I remember telling my mom, like, I can't believe this. Like, I feel like I should be happier. And she's like, people would kill to be in your shoes. They would do anything. You're living in New York City. And I feel like I'm meant to be doing more. This is just not meaningful. And I didn't like it. And literally within that first week, I was plotting my exit. I'm giving myself six to nine months. I had some money saved in my bank, not much. We're going all in here. There's certainly an avenue where you can say, I'm going to work on my side hustle. And then if I make the certain amount, then I can leave. But for me, I was, what, 22, 21 when I quit Ernst Young. It was two years out of college. So let's fast forward to today because today I would say you're the million dollar fitness coach. That's an interesting brand. How does it feel? Feels weird because I never talk about money. I never talk about my success, really. For me, my success is in our success stories. For me, it's all the coaches that we work with and that are part of my body tutor that get to do what they love doing every day. That's the way I look at it. So it feels weird. Certainly proud of it, but I never lead with that. I never really talk about it, really. How long until your business made a million? Probably in year eight or nine. And there was many people along the way that said, you can never scale your business. You can never do what you, you want to do at a bigger scale. I still think about those people every now and then. Do you? It's never to prove them wrong. The real award for me is getting to do what I do. Like I love transforming people physically and mentally. Besides being a dad, to me, it's just the most rewarding thing ever. And that's the goal. Like I know how I felt working at Ernst & Young. And I think there was one time where we were walking in the city. I'm like, ooh, I'm getting a stomachache. And we were like in Times Square where the office was. <laughs> and like just seeing the sign, like it was like a visceral reaction of like, oh my God, I can't do that again. I do have a belief that there's about a 10-year-old to make a meal. Unless you're inheriting it or robbing it or getting lucky with some break. If you stick with something in 10 years, you get a meal. My life, it took about 10 years all in and it sounds similar with, yeah. with your business. What were these inflection points in your business from the first customer to maybe thousand that helped the trajectory of it? Yeah. The first few customers, I started this back in 2007. My first customers came through Ames, AOL Instant Messenger. So I actually had our website and it said, if you have any questions, feel free to IM me. And I'll never forget IMing with my initial customers. And it was like, hey, just give me a chance. We can help you. If it doesn't work, I'll give you your money back. And it was really just all about, hey, can you give me a chance? And I was IMing with people for hours originally. So it was first getting those first three to five customers. And we started just with colleges. I quit Ernst Young in January of 2007, started my body tour in February of 2007. And I knew spring break was approaching. So the way I started it was, let's help college kids get ready for spring break. So we got those first three to five spring breakers or people, college kids ready for getting ready for spring break. They loved it. Then it was just a six-week program. They started referring their friends. And then the real kind of inflection point was when they started referring me to their friends and family, not in college. And then we changed it to a monthly membership. And then I remember actually very early on, Good Morning America found us. We had done some work with Thrillists back then, and they loved what we were doing. And then Good Morning America picked us up. No one was offering accountability, right? Our whole thesis from day one is, for the most part, people know what's good for them. They know what's not good for them. The real question is, why can't they do it, right? Why can't they follow through? And everything we do is designed to help people follow through. So I think they resonated with that idea. So Good Morning America picked us up, which was really cool. And I remember, I'll never forget, like, 
telling my mom, hey, mom, watch Good Morning America today. She thought I was absolutely crazy for leaving Ernst Young. She did not support it. She was like, what about health insurance? What about this? What about that? It was just nothing but fear. And of course, as a parent now, I totally get it. You want your child to be comfortable and secure. So there was a lot of fear on my part. Like she did not make it easy, but I'm my own man. I was paying my own rent, like all that stuff. So it didn't really matter. I would have been nice to have her blessing. But I think that was a, a big inflection point, being Good Morning America. And then it's just slow and steady. And it's just recently we've been featured on some podcasts and this and that. People are like, oh, you're blowing up. We've been at this for 16 years. It's been a slow <laughs> and steady grind for a while. Yeah. So it sounds like some exposure from, sounds like Thrillist. Thrillist and some authors. And because people liked what we were doing, it was a unique idea. So being featured in a few books, a few blogs really helped. You gave me a shout out early on, I remember, because when we started working together, which was cool. Yeah, it's been crazy. We've talked about your pricing yeah. many times. And so it went from a one-time payment, of what was it, 50 bucks or something? It was like 75 bucks, yeah. And then what's the average price point now? $2.99 a month. Is that the starting price point? Yeah. Wow. Okay, I want to talk about that. So the pricing evolution is $2.99 a month. I'm trying to make other flex points I've observed of you. I think one of them was like how you went from the coach to the leader. I think that's been a, an inflection point that I've observed in your business where you love coaching, you love fitness, like you really love your job. Yeah. And it was stepping back and saying, all right, I'm not going to coach these. I'm like, you should do it. And I always use you as an example, like, hey, if you want to do the coaching in this kind of work, do it. And if you want to make more money, maybe you could do that and hire a CEO. But, and I think that's something that that was an inflection point where now you have 75 coaches and now you're coaching the coaches. Yeah. That was a really big mindset shift for me is I really wanted to coach everyone. And I realized if I want to impact more people, I need to let go. I was the bottleneck. And it was very difficult. But now I'm very passionate about coaching our coaches. I still work with a few people. So I can stay there a little bit. But coaching the coaches is something I become very passionate about because I'm still getting to impact people just in a different way. What other inflection points can you think of? Certainly being introduced to people in corporate America was a big inflection point. So starting with college kids mm. was interesting. But then really realizing most of our clientele was people 25, anyone in corporate America who just was not able to stay consistent with their diet and exercise. That was a huge moment for us where it's like, all right, we're not actually a college spring break, get you ripped for spring break service, right? That's how we started. It's really where we help people devise a diet and exercise plan for them that is catered and customized to them, and then we help them stick with it. And people in corporate America who are very successful or successful in their life, but they just can't crack the code in their health and fitness. It sounds like some things have not had an inflection point or a change in your trajectory, which is like the accountability, which is nice. And even with AppSumo's story, I come back and realize at the end of the day, we go find a cool product, we get a good price and we send it out. If we can do that really well, the business will work. Yep. And so for yours, it's like, we're going to check in with you. So our mission since day one has been, we are going to help you stay consistent better than any company in the world, any service in the world. And what we offer to this day is certainly better and it's more sophisticated, but the basic core component is daily accountability. And that was the same thing in 2007. Which is fascinating. We've been friends since 2008. How many different apps have come out? How many different people have started a fitness coaching program, but you've gotten the results? And at the end of the day, there is something, whether you've written a book, whether people love Tim Ferriss's book, or people will, will like my book, it's like, you're going to get some results. And the same thing with your program. Hey, you buy my body tutor, you're going to get some results because it's about sustainability and consistency, not about some fad or something that won't actually last. I think that's impressive. One comment here is, can you visualize or imagine a future inflection point? It's interesting. I guess... I write a book one day, and I think that perhaps is the next kind of level. 
you've been in the trenches, you're doing it day in and day out. You've been at it for a long time. Like you are a businessman, you are an entrepreneur, and then you're writing a book. I've been in the trenches where I've worked with thousands and thousands of people now. I've always wanted to do that first and then write a book. Whereas I think a lot of people just write a book first and then they build things off that. I would say perhaps a, a book one day would be the next inflection point. I remember when the pricing, I think, was 99 and 150 or something like that. And you were talking about going from 150 to 199 or it was even lower than that. And I remember the amount of concern it gave you. It's like, dude, I don't think I can do it. This is so expensive. I feel so bad about it. And I think you generally wanted people to get the results, which, you know, at the end of the day, that is what matters. And it's interesting how now, tune in now, you, you say it without hesitation. Can you walk me through your mindset? Because I do think that's a very common problem in businesses. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's no doubt price signals something. It signals quality, hopefully. I think a lot of times people just charge a lot because they think it signals quality. But if you don't have the experience and the program or whatever it is you're selling to back it up, then I think it's going to quickly bite you in the butt. For us, we worked up to it. And the reason why we ultimately raised our prices were people were always saying like, you're not charging enough for what you're offering. You're offering daily coaching. Like there's people who charge thousands of dollars a month for fitness coaching and they check in with their clients like once a week. I mean, to this day, people are like, you're not charging nearly enough. And for us, it was, all right, we need to raise the prices because I think the results warrant that. But also B, I want to pay our coaches more. And it was like, all right, for us to figure out this revenue model, this business model, we need to charge more. But I think it's well worth it considering we're helping them lose weight, get fit in a sustainable way, right? This is the last program our clients do. And after a while, when you continue to hear people saying like, you're not charging enough, you start to think about it and it makes it a little easier. Yeah. I've always thought about this example. You go to a meal, same exact meal, two different prices. It changes the experience. Yeah. What it sounds like for you is, especially if someone's starting out, which we'll talk about, building up that confidence, building up the results and being like, yeah, it's worth it. My confidence is a result of the results we get for our clients, right? My confidence came from working with thousands of clients, whereas I think some people put on this confidence. Like I started cheap, worked our way up. Some people still think we're cheap. But yes, I think you have to build up to that. And when you know you can deliver on your service, A, it gives you confidence because you have all the support and, and results to back you up. But B, it's like, all right, I want to help as many people as I can now. I also like the evolution of the course stays the same, but the business evolves, the pricing evolved, who your customer evolved. And I think people assume it just stays fixed when it really never does. I remember that you made me think about the MailChimp. They had a, a great blog post around like, your pricing is never going to be the same. And I was like, oh, I guess I used to think it's always going to be a fixed thing. Now, if someone's watching this or listening to this and they want to be a coach in something else, let's just say they want to be a boxing coach. How would you go about getting your first client today if you were wanting to have a business around coaching? Yeah, so I would always start small. Like I think small is new big. I think I always wanted to do my own thing around fitness. And for a while, I had this like analysis paralysis where I felt like I had to start the next Google or Facebook, whatever it was, like this big company. And it wasn't until I started small or thinking smaller that I was able to actually take action. And I was like, all right, you love this so much. Just start working with three people, right? And that's what I did. And it's find your first three people, deliver them incredible service, get them incredible results, treat them like you would treat any family member or friend. And they're going to tell everyone they know because their experience is going to be so powerful. So you can really start an entire business around three to five people. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in you have to do online advertising, this and that. It's like, to me, go in person, meet people in person, talk to people. And it's not that hard to get three to five people. I think sometimes we just feel like we have to do all this stuff 
start small, go small. I love that. Now you were talking earlier that you have 75 different coaches and I want to learn more about coaching. So what are three ways that if someone's a leader in a business, in a nonprofit, in a group, whatever it is, family, coaching and leadership is part of relationships. And so you've worked with 75 different coaches and much more beyond that. What are three tips to, to being a better coach? So I would say, number one, you really want to be empathetic, right? You want to understand where people are coming from. You want to meet them where they are. You want to be able to articulate how the person is feeling. Um, because if you can meet them where they are, if you can understand where they are in their journey, then it's a lot easier for them to say, all right, this person gets me. And we all need that connection, whether it's with your spouse or business partner or client or whatever it is, you want the person to feel like they get you. So I'd say that's number one. Number two is not being afraid to hold them accountable and like calling them out. We always say best friends talk shit to each other. Like, hey, if you're not showing up or if you're not doing this, like I'm gonna let you know. And of course, always talk great about them behind their back, right? Whereas most people, it's like talk shit behind their back and you're fake in, in front of them. You need to be able to call them out. Obviously, as we know, it's like how you say it, not what you say. But if you're genuinely a caring person, and I'm assuming if you want to be a coach or you're in a leadership position, you need to be caring about your people. It's hard to go wrong, right? But you need to call them out and say, hey, I think you can do better or what's getting in the way here? Not being afraid of that. And I would say the last thing is if you're a coach, it's very important for you to constantly raise your game and constantly level up yourself. And I think to me, if a coach isn't improving themselves, if they're not working on their own journey, then why bother with that coach? And I think as a leader, as a father, as an entrepreneur, as a husband, like I'm always trying to level up and always trying to improve myself. And when you do that, it just naturally is going to raise your leadership abilities and, and you're going to also be inspired. You can't inspire others if you're not feeling inspired yourself. I would genuinely say the past year, I was just not excited. And now I'm like, yo, what we're doing is fire. And someone asked me, it's like, how are you going to motivate people? I'm like, I don't have to. I'm motivated. And I'm going to find people who are very motivated about what we're about to work on. Are there resources or anything that you check out to learn more about coaching or people you've read from or admired in terms of their coaching styles? So I think my coaching style is definitely, you know, I played sports as a kid. And I think any athlete you've learned from the coaches you've had, what resonates with you doesn't resonate with you. But I also think what makes coaching so interesting is what resonates for me might not resonate for other people, right? So someone might like, you know, a really hard-nosed person, and some people might like more of like a cheerleader, right? And that's one of the benefits is when you work with us, we ask you what your coaching preference is. But people who I've learned from, I would say I love studying pro coaches. I love watching and seeing what they do. I think you can learn a lot about what someone does versus what they necessarily say, the type of coach they are. So I would say it's a combination of just learning from others, but just taking in all the coaching I went through as a child and saying like, this works, this doesn't work and putting my own you know, spin on it. Yeah, one thing that we met with that Larry Jesnick at it at the basement guy. And uh, one thing he said, which I definitely resonate with, is just your job as a coach is to have the highest standard and to hold people to that high standard and the right people will enjoy yeah. that. And so I really appreciate that, that you're commenting as well. Like, how do I raise the bar and, and get these people to level up? Yeah, totally. It feels good to level up. And I think when there's a gap between your intentions and actions, unhappiness ensues. When your intentions and actions are in alignment, I think you just naturally feel happier. And helping people follow through on what they want and what they say they're going to do is really empowering and makes them feel awesome. I've really changed my leadership style dramatically this year more than ever before. 
I don't know where it came from for me, but I'm much more of a, this is what's wrong with what you're doing. I don't know if I learned it from Zuckerberg. My mom isn't really like that or my parents weren't. That's my first response. Right. And the two things I dramatically changed in 180 is I'm really trying to recognize the positive right away. Yeah. Because what I recognize is, is it motivating to just only get told what's wrong? It's like, no, it's super discouraging. Totally. So with Mitchell on our team, he's one of our younger guys, or Kellen. My first thing is, what did they do well that I already like? And then how do I motivate them in a positive way to the outcome, in an optimistic way to the outcome versus I think historically, I'm like, here's what's wrong and why didn't you do it the way I wanted? That's been a shift for me. And I, that's a kind of, maybe for others, it's very obvious. Maybe for you, that's, a, I think you're naturally a more empathetic, caring person that you were like, oh man, let's come on. Let's like, bro, I'm like, no, you suck, dude. Let's come <laughs> on, get your shit together. That's what's in my head. But now it's in my head still. Right. But I pause. Yep. Here's what I like that you did. And let's positively, let me try to help you get to the outcome that you're going to feel good about and get to the standard I want. But also you're doing it in a way that you're excited to go do it. And then you'll have more of your own initiative in the future. All the time, I ask for feedback. Yeah. And people are like, no, you're so happy these days. That's amazing. And they're happy. I mean, that self-awareness that you were able to correct that, because I do think ultimately you never want to hit them with the negative right away. Hit them with the love first. Here's what you're doing. Great. Let's try this is I, I think typically we'll get a better response. A hundred percent. And also what I've observed from my leadership style is like, how do I work on the solution versus just complain about the problem? I think it's like, you know, the old build your people up and then they'll build whatever you're trying to accomplish versus just like micromanaging. And if you trust those people, it's amazing what they can do. The best micromanagers say they don't micromanage. <laughs> That's what I've noticed. Because like I say I don't micromanage. I'm like, dude, believe me. This is a Trump thing. Believe me. <laughs> but I micromanage. Like, okay, I don't like how you did that Twitter thing. It's like, is that really exciting him? For example, I gave some feedback. We were trying to run a new Twitter campaign and it was two weeks and it wasn't live. And so I said, hey, I'm just curious. And that's a good opening phrase to leadership or, hey, I, I wonder. Yeah. It seems like this might be taking a while. What's going on? Or how can I help you expedite it? And Nick was like, yeah, it is taking a while. I'm going to fix that. And then I asked him afterwards. I said, hey, Nick, how did I approach that? Like, do you have any feedback? He's like, no, I, you're right. And I appreciate how you asked. And you offered to potentially help or ask, hey, how is there anything I can do to help you here? And I know that's not easy for you because you are maniacal about action and just you get yeah. shit done right away. Hats off to you for doing that because it's clearly paying off. And it's been interesting to see you change as a leader. Yeah, for both of us, man. It's different to run a AppSumo by myself. There's no way I can run what we run just by myself. And same with you with my body tutor. And the other thing I've been working on the plane right here, just as a, people talk about SOPs, the standard operating procedures, but I don't know if anyone ever shares what it actually is. Yeah. And so this has been a really big moment breakthrough for myself and realizing like the only way I can scale and that the company can also live beyond me is having, what is our core behaviors? of a teammate, I don't call them employees, but teammates here. And what is the core behaviors of a business operations? So how do we like to have our net operating income targets? That's in the business operation. Right. We call it our mom. It's our right. master operating manual. And then we have our teammate playbook, which is test and invest. I won't get into the show, but like certain things so that people know how to behave. And like the yep. more that information is pushed down and disseminated, people know how to be successful. And I think those are SOPs, what other people call, but I, I don't think it's generally very explained. Have you gone through something similar? Oh, totally. I mean, there's certain things we want all of our coaches to kind of embody, and we certainly hire for that. And we want all of our clients to have the same experience, but we also want coaches to be who they are, right? So there's that balance of, I know when someone starts My Body Tutor, I'm genuinely and sincerely and truly excited for them because I know how they're going to come out. This thing starts as this and then comes out on the other end once they're done, because we have our kind of proven methodology. 
But I also, again, encourage our coaches to be who they are because I think if you push too much or you micromanage too much, I want coaches to add their own flavor and their own twists and all that. But there's also core things that we teach that I do believe and know are super impactful and I want our clients to know. Yeah. If you help your customer get the result, there's a really good chance you're going to tell other people because I've gotten this result that I want to help others with. I think the one differentiator that I thought is very unique, I would say, in how you coach and how your, your coaches coach is that it's positive. Because when I tell people, I'm like, yeah, one of my best friends, Adam, my bodytutor.com, like he's helped me, really cool business. And I always say that, I was like, they only do it positive coaching. Because I think a lot of people are used, especially with diets, like my buddy Isaac, who needs your service, it, it was like, what can't I eat? What are they going to scold me about? What am I getting punished totally. for? And I think the fact that you guys flipped that, where it's like, I remember I drank too much this time, or I ate some pizza. You're like, was it good? How was the pizza? Cool. Okay. Well, what's the next thing you're going to do? That's what we can control. And what happened here so we can understand it for the future it was never making me feel bad. And I love that about your guys' style. Thank you. I think shame-based rarely works. I think starting from a very restrictive standpoint rarely works, especially for the long term. Instead of like, here's what you can eat. It's like, hey, let's take what you eat. Let's find your non-negotiables and build a plan around that. The whole idea here is, again, sustainable success. I want this to be the last program people do. And I know shame-based, just like fear-based doesn't usually last. And restriction rarely lasts too. Eventually you kind of snap like a rubber band, you go back to your old ways. Lately, I think if you can outlast people, you can outwin people. And I think that's true for different areas. And I think specifically with diet. And I also think about it with content creation. My goal with a lot of the content lately, I, all I say in my head is, you just have to make it 10 years. Not even just have to. I want to make it 10 years. So how do I set myself up? to do this for the next 10 years. And I think the same thing goes for your programs where it's like, and I love what your phrase is like, this is the last program you need. Because it is like, how do I set you up that it's not about having an extreme diet where you're drinking on weekends or you're only eating like whatever new fad diet that's the hit of the moment. Yeah, totally. And I think to your point though, it's the question you might come up with after what you just said is like, how do you make it 10 years? And I think the key is you have to pick something that you are truly passionate about and something that is mission driven versus opportunity driven. And I think if you're just chasing opportunities, then you're just on to the next thing. Whereas if you're mission driven, like this is my life's work. Like I experienced it with my own father. I don't want anyone else to have to go through that. I'm going to be doing this no matter what, right? And that's why it's a mission for me. It doesn't matter what else there is. So I think if you can find something that you're passionate about and something that you can be mission driven, then it's also makes it much easier to last and, and stick with it for that 10 years. We were talking about the book that's coming out for me and uh, million Dollar Weekend. And it was just more, I'm so excited about it. like this, I believe. Yep. Someone asked me, it was, I think it was my cousin. Do you think this works? I was like, yeah. You know it works though. I guess I surprised myself. Right. I knew it. And I, I don't know if it's a Buddhist thing or Dalai Lama, but some of the things that were, are most sensitive to us were embarrassed to share publicly. Mm -hmm. We're sensitive. And I was like, yeah, it works. You're willing to do the work, follow the plan. Right. But I think to your credit, it's like you have so much data and so much evidence, right? Like yeah. that's where it comes from. And that's why I'm super excited for you for, the, for your book. Yeah. Find your purpose. Not even find your purpose. That sounds so ominous. I always was so jealous when people found it. Yeah. I was like, is it at Kmart? <laughs> is it at Amazon? Do you just buy it? Is it on Prime? I do have answers for that. But I think what you said, just find the thing you do for free. And the other thing with purpose, I would say, ultimately, which will help you do something like that, is just find something that's hard. I haven't found that things I'm found meaningful, which I do think is also a relation to purpose, wherever easy to do. Totally. And so I think there's something really nice about thinking, okay, what am I interested in that I can do for 10 years? Find something that's also a little challenging for yourself. Moving on to your customers, to the people you're coaching, what I find super interesting about it, I'm, I'm curious who these people are. Yeah. And more importantly, I'm very curious what you've learned about psychology of human behavior. 
because there's books about habits and there's books about behavior, but you're fundamentally changing how people live. So I'm curious what you've observed in habits and ways that people can improve habits in general, not yeah. even just in eating. I think awareness is the first step. So I think something I've learned is that every behavior has a motivation, right? So someone might say they want to stop eating ice cream or stop drinking or whatever it might be. And it's like, first understand that behavior is serving you in some way. On some level, you're coming home after work or during work or whatever it might be, and you want to escape, right? You don't want to deal with reality. Understand how it's serving you. And once you start to understand how your behavior is serving you, then you can find other ways to replace that, right? So that's number one. Number two, I think it's fascinating that like, I can only help people solve their problems until I find out why they like having them. We have these problems, we have these challenges. On some level, we like having them. For example, you might say a busy entrepreneur, they identify as, oh, I'm always so busy, I have no time. That is serving them in some way. And when you can understand how it's serving them, again, it's really fascinating because it opens up a whole world of like, maybe it's really distracting you from this. And if we can get to the root of the issue, as I love getting to the root of the issue, for example, when it comes to food, it's never about the food. It's about what the food allows us to avoid and or the void it fills, right? It's never about the food. The food is a symptom. So trying to understand the root issue is the key to sustainable change. I also think baby steps are really powerful, right? And I think too many people try to change everything at once and you wind up changing nothing at all. But there's so many fascinating things. There's all or nothing people. There's black and white thinking. There's self-sabotage. There's fear of failure, surprisingly, but actually very common is fear of success because I think fear of success is super interesting because for some people, if they get what they say they want, on some level, their life actually might be worse off, not better off. So this actually goes in hand with self-sabotage. So my definition of self-sabotage is fearing the very thing you say you want. So let's say someone says they want this business that serves thousands of people. You can take a small business owner on some level, some small business owners feel like they have the weight of the world in their shoulders. They feel like they're super busy. They have no free time. And they could do all these things to grow their business. But in their mind, if they grow their business, they're going to have even less free time. So they can do all these things. They can buy all the courses. They can do all this stuff. But if they feel like on some level, their life is going to be worse off, not better off, then they're going to continue to sabotage. So you have to figure out how self-sabotage is hurting you back, right? So if we bring this back to weight loss, for some people, being overweight has been a safety blanket for them, right? So it's in their mind, it's when I lose weight, then I'll start the business. Or when I lose weight, then I'll ask this person out. Or when I lose weight, then I'll pursue this, right? Okay, then if they actually lose the weight, then they actually have to do it. So for them, being overweight is actually serving them. What is a story of someone not working out with my body too and what happened? We do have a ridiculously high success rate. And I say that's just because we're not just giving people a plan and then essentially saying, good luck, let's touch base in a week or two. We're coming up with a plan with them and then every single day we're in communication with them. However, this kind of work can be uncomfortable, right? You're uncovering all sorts of things. And I always say any worthwhile journey in life has what I call FDR, right? Fear, discomfort, doubt, and resistance, right? Fear, discomfort, doubt, and resistance. And you're gonna encounter that in any worthwhile journey. And it's what you do in those moments that makes all the difference. And I think for some people, when they feel that, they recoil, they hide, they retreat. Whereas our most successful clients, and we certainly encourage it, and we're there for them, lean into it, they talk with their coach about it, they reach out to them, and they work through it. And I think the difference is, when you feel that, inevitably, you're going to feel some sort of fear, discomfort, doubt, or resistance. 
When you feel it, what do you do in those moments? That's one of the reasons why I believe in coaching so much because you're going to feel that. It's what you do in those moments. And I would say the people who aren't successful, they recoil, they hide. For them, it's very hard to ask for help and they retreat back to themselves. Who's spending 300 bucks a month to improve their fitness and their health and ultimately their life? Yeah, I think it's people who have trouble staying consistent. They've tried a lot of things. They're sick and tired of you know, saying, I'm going to start fresh tomorrow or I'll start fresh on Monday. You know, it's people anywhere from 25 to 85. We, you know, literally had someone sign up. She was 83 years old and they understand the value of health and fitness. I've seen this firsthand that your health is the greatest lever in your life. Like when you're more healthy and fit, it is the ultimate productivity tool, right? We talk about all these things like (laughs) upgrade your computer, upgrade this. Like the biggest upgrade you can get is yourself right? So it's people who value their health and fitness, who understand that without their health and fitness, nothing means anything. It's people who want more energy. It's people who are sick and tired of letting themselves down. We have tech entrepreneurs. We have people who work. We have mom, like all sorts of people. But I would say the core client has trouble staying consistent and they want help. Yeah. And I think one caveat that's, I would say, counterintuitive is a lot of these people are very successful. I get coaches and everything. I worked with my body tutor for my fitness coach. I have a marketing coach. I have a business coach. I have a CEO coach. I have a boxing coach. And it's interesting. It's not only the plans, the accountability and the support, which you guys are, are awesome at. And not just to plug you guys, even though I do recommend it, but maybe in areas of people's lives, like where could a coach benefit me? I've always admired about that. The things you are world-class at, you're absolutely world-class at. And the things you're not, you will get help. And I think that's what has put you ahead of so many people. Whereas I think a lot of people are all about, I got to do it myself. I got to do it myself. And year after year, they're treading water. They're jogging in place. They never make progress. Whereas the most successful people I know by far, they'll get help and they're all about it because they know it's going to just expedite their progress. They're going to save so much time. Yeah. And to your FDR comment, you can actually get your service for 300 bucks a month. You get a professional. Results are guaranteed, I would say, if they go through and they do the work. But just as a comment on coaching, receiving coaching is also your responsibility as the receiver. Moody Glasgow, he's our CMO, a marketing coach, marketing advisor. And most times he, the things he tells me to do, I, I'm like, I don't want to do that. And that's the stuff I need to do. And if I knew to already do it, I wouldn't need Moody. And I wouldn't need him supporting me and say, I've seen it. I've done it. This will work. Let's try it. Maybe in a smaller way. You'll see the result. Then you'll keep growing. Because if I, a lot of times they're like, oh, I'll get my, my wife to do these things. Or I can figure it out, which sometimes it can work. But I also think it's like the ultimate cheat code in any area you want to improve to find these people and realize you're going to be resistant to something and be okay with that. Expect the resistance because to your point, if there was no resistance, you're doing what you've always done. You're going to get the same result. I also think about that a lot as like, sure, friends and family might work. I call that like pure accountability versus pro accountability. Mm. So my mom is a former high school English teacher. When it came time for me to take my SATs, she used to tutor for the SATs. She wanted to tutor me. Of course, I didn't take it seriously because she's my mom, right? So I think when you have that It's just very different with pure accountability. It's very easy to let the person off the hook. It's very hard to call them out and share those hard truths that we all need to hear. You've said this phrase to me, and it's something that is cemented. What's the phrase? What does it mean to you? And how can people cement it in their operating system? So there's actually two now that I think, because I think in the last few years, I've been encouraging for this, but I think it's discomfort is your compass. That's the original. What would you say the, the modern one is, though? Don't be powerless, be powerful. You say take your power back. Oh, take your power. Okay. Uh, you, you've said it in different ways, but right. what it, what's in my operating system, the code update OS yeah. 16 is take your power back. Yeah. Tell me more about this and how can other people update their systems with this? It's very easy to have a pity party. It's very easy to just blame. I always say blame equals be lame. 
when you're faced with something, there's two choices. You can be powerless and say like, I don't want to deal with this. I can't deal with this. I'm going to put blame on others. Or you can choose to be powerful, right? You can take your power back. And when you take your power back, it's absolutely life-changing. I know you've experienced this. It forces you to take responsibility and it forces you to look yourself in the mirror, forces you to say, all right, where am I falling short? Where do I need help? And it's very empowering to do that because you're in the driver's seat, right? Because we all know what it feels like when you feel like you're just drifting in life, you're just coasting and you're not using your power. I think that evolved from discomfort is your compass. I always used to say like discomfort is your compass because if you do what you've always done, it's going to feel comfortable. If you do something differently by nature, that's going to feel uncomfortable. And I think discomfort and uncomfortable gets a bad rap, but it just means you're doing something differently. And if you're doing something differently, that's great because it means you're going to get a different outcome. So discomfort is your compass that led, <laughs> led to take your power back. I think about taking my power back weekly. And it really applies in every situation where I want to blame. And I'm totally right in my blame. I'm like, definitely it's their fault. And you're like, well, how are you giving up your power here? I'm like, no, 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 it's their fault. Trust me. And you're like, hey, take your power back here. You can really start applying it across the board. Your boss, your significant other, yourself, all these different interactions. And what it really does is it makes you feel like you have a choice in the situation and you're not a victim in it. Yeah. And it is empowering. So I really appreciate that, that you got me thinking about that. You love it, man. I mean, it's been fun to watch you put that to work. And it's been incredible to see what you've done throughout your journey and especially in the last few years. Adam Gilbert, mybodytutor.com. Thanks so much, brother. Love you, man. Love you too. That is a wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as we did making it for you. If you did, go give Adam some love at mybodytutor.com if you're interested in his services. Also on Instagram and Twitter at mybodytutor. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go to the gym together. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan or slide in the DMs on Instagram and let me know what you thought of this episode. I love hearing from you. Also, go check out tidycal.com. By the way, no one makes it to the end of the show, so if you're here, go do this thing because it'll make your day better. I use it to schedule customer calls, partner calls, and guests for this exact show. It is free. We've built it because we didn't want to pay subscriptions, and we wanted a lot more cool features that Calendly just ain't done yet. So go check it out at tidycal.com. There's also people using it to book paid calls for themselves, making over six figures a year. Finally, a couple of shout outs to the amazing team for making this all happen. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these podcasts. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Tommy, and Sylvie from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. Hot damn. Have a healthy day. What's your favorite exercise? Mine's jump rope. I love jumping rope. Uh-huh.